My family grew up in former USSR, the Republic of Georgia. When you grow up in a communist regime, if you're vulnerable, you can get into a lot of trouble. I grew up modeling my dad and emulating my dad's behavior. And my dad was very much, nobody cares about your problems, it's nobody's business. And I mean, even to this day, like it's hard to extract stories about the past from my dad. And so it felt like there were all these little characters in my body that were just like pushing buttons and I couldn't control myself. So I went to go talk to a therapist and after a couple sessions, she's like, you had a panic attack. So that was a very, very big pivotal moment for me. And at that point I realized, well, there's something really here. And I started to get really interested in the concept of leadership and vulnerability. The company was near bankruptcy. The banks were just about to come and repossess the organization. There were, I believe, $10 billion in debt, the worst situation you can imagine. And so he too was faced with a similar situation. All hands meeting, go in front of your employees, what are you gonna say? And he too went in front of his employees and he said, look, I don't know the exact path that we're going to take to get out of this, but I have a vision of where I wanna go. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast, and I think today our guest is on the West Coast. Today on the podcast, we're excited to have a conversation with Jacob Morgan, author of The Future Leader. Jacob has a new book coming out with Wiley in October called Leading with Vulnerability, How to Unlock Your Greatest Superpower to Transform Yourself, Your Team, and Your Organization. It's based on 100 CEO interviews and a survey of 14,000 employees. It looks at why vulnerability for leaders is not the same as it is for everyone else and how leaders specifically need to approach vulnerability so that they, so that they can create trust, unlock potential, drive business performance, and lead through change. Hey, Jacob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you uh, for uh, joining us. It's very rare that we actually have anyone in California on the West, obviously on the West Coast. Yeah, I think we're only a couple hours away from each other, right? You're you're in San Diego and I'm in uh, the Calabasas area. So we could have done this in person, maybe in the future. Very great. Very great. So great. Yeah, I love Calabasas. My uh, my uh, my sister and her family live in Calabasas. Oh, so cool. let's just start with um, the question. Your book is called... Uh, vulnerability, leading with vulnerability. So when we say vulnerability, when you say vulnerability, what does that really mean? Uh, so I make a pretty clear distinction in the book between vulnerability and leading with vulnerability. And the big question that I wanted to ask when I wrote this book is vulnerability is something that we've all heard about. Everybody knows what it feels like to be vulnerable, but very few people know what it's like to actually lead with vulnerability. And so I was really curious, even though we talk about vulnerability a lot, let's say I'm in a position of power and authority inside of an organization. I'm responsible for the lives of people. I'm responsible for a P&L. The decisions that I make carry far more weight and have a far greater impact on the business and the people around me. Is vulnerability for me the same as it is for everybody else? And the very interesting and astounding thing that I found from writing this book is it is a resounding yes. 
So when most people think of vulnerability, and a lot of this was spearheaded by the amazing work that Brene Brown did over the past you know, 10, 15, probably even 20 years. And a lot of her work was centered around this concept of just vulnerability for everybody. And vulnerability, she describes as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And so what a lot of people took that to mean is that if I show up to work and I just say, I need help, or if I show up to work and I, sit and I talk about feelings, or I talk about mistakes or failures, that that is vulnerability, which it is. But the truth is that if you're in a leadership position, that actually is not a good thing for you. And we can talk a little bit about why that's the case, but that's what really vulnerability is. Uncertainty, risk, emotional exposure. Exposure. I share something about myself that exposes me. I talk about mistakes, failures, ask for help, things of that nature. And when I would interview a lot of CEOs, they would really start to question me in a lot of those areas. And that's where I started to realize, wait a minute, there's something different here for leaders than for everybody else. So let's go into then that something else. Um, but before we go into that, I want to ask you a question. Um, I know for me, um, I grew up as not being that vulnerable. I went into companies where I saw zero vulnerability. Yeah. And then um, it, I didn't understand what was going on because I really had no space for vulnerability or what it really meant. Um, but I think I became a coach because that was missing uh, in my work experience and because I was really you know, touched, moved, and inspired by the training um, I had. And then I quickly became known as the vulnerability guy, which is kind of interesting for a guy that, you know, pretty much spent 30 years not being vulnerable. What event occurred in your life such that you became fascinated with this topic of vulnerability? I'd say there were a few things kind of leading up to one big thing. So the few things were that my family grew up in the uh, former USSR, the Republic of Georgia. So my parents are both from Belize in in Georgia. And growing up, you know, when you grow up in a communist regime, if you're vulnerable, you can get into a lot of trouble. If you start talking about things and sharing things, it's probably not, not the best thing for you. So my parents modeled very, very different types of, of parenting and leadership. My mom was always more emotionally open and encouraging me to talk about my feelings. But as a young boy, I grew up modeling my dad and emulating my dad's behavior. And my dad was very much, nobody cares about your problems. Nobody cares about your feelings. These are burdens that you shouldn't be putting onto other people. Um, and it's, it's nobody's business. And I mean, even to this day, like it's hard to extract uh, stories about the past from my dad. And I actually remember when I was much younger and I was playing soccer in, in AYSO, I must've been, I don't know, like 10 years old or something like that, maybe even younger. And uh, we finished competing in... Um, a soccer tournament and we go to my coach's house and we're going to pick up some trophies and the coach goes into his house. He grabs his trophy. He brings it out. And my dad looks at this trophy and he's like, what the hell is this? They got last place. Why are they getting a trophy? And the coach is like, well, you know, it's a participation trophy. We want all the kids to feel like they participated. And my dad looks at me, he looks at the trophy. He gives the trophy back to the coach and is like, we're good. You can keep that son, get in the car. <laughs> right. So that, that's how I grew up. That's a great parenting. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, you know, where this was, and again, balanced between my mom and my dad, but I grew up watching my dad. So I was never vulnerable. 
didn't talk about feelings, emotions, none of that kind of stuff because <clears throat> that's how I grew up. And so a couple of years ago, um, when I actually signed the con, this was shortly after I signed the contract for this book. It was maybe like one or two weeks after I signed the contract for this book. And I'm standing in the kitchen, or not the kitchen, sorry, the bathroom. Uh, it's the morning, probably like 7.30, something like that, you know, just woke up. And I'm standing there brushing my teeth. I'm looking in the mirror. And all of a sudden, I get this really, really weird feeling. And my vision gets blurry. My heart starts racing. I, I start getting out of breath. And I'm overcome with just dread and terror. The feeling that, like, I'm getting a heart attack. And I freaked out. You know, I'm screaming for my wife, Blake, get in here. Something's wrong. I lay down on the bed. And my body starts like convulsing, right? It, it's as if, I don't know if you've seen the movie, the cartoon show, um, in and out, is it called? Or, um, about the emotions inside of kids. Right. Yeah. He was called. I remember that. That's uh, great. It was great. Know, I, I can't it was remember called. what yeah. it was called. Not, not the burger chain in and out, but something like that. And so it felt like there were all these little characters in my body that were just like pushing buttons and I couldn't control myself. And so I was freaking out and, uh, yeah, I went to the emergency room and this was going on during the holidays. And what made it really hard is that I couldn't get an appointment with my doctor because it was during the holidays. I made my wife drive me to the ER. She convinced me not to actually go in there. Long story short, after going through all of this, <clears throat> I go, I finally get an appointment with my doctor and, uh, you know, they say, okay, let's check your heart and make sure you're okay. And they check my heart and they're like, you're great. And, you know, I'm somebody who is a little bit of a health and fitness nut. I try to eat healthy. I take care of myself. And the doctor looks at me and she's like, you know, you might want to go see a different kind of doctor. And I'm looking to her like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, a, you know, a different kind of doctor. And uh, at that point, yeah, exactly. And at that point, I understood that she meant that, you know, I should go talk to a therapist. So I went to go talk to a therapist. And after a couple of sessions, she's like, yeah, you had a, you had a panic attack. And after a couple of sessions, it turned out that one of the, the causes for that panic attack was the fact that I was writing this book to begin with. It was the fact that I was being forced to write, well, not forced, but I chose to write a book about vulnerability, which is something that is very foreign to me and something that goes against a lot of the stuff that I have practiced. So that was a very, very big pivotal moment for me. And at that point, I realized, well, there's something really here. And I started to get really interested in the concept of leadership and vulnerability. And I remembered when I wrote my last book, The Future Leader, I interviewed 140, CE 140 CEOs for that one. <clears throat> and I remember doing these interviews and a lot of the CEOs were talking about vulnerability. They were talking about emotional intelligence. They were talking about a lot of this stuff, but they were also sharing that there were a lot of challenges behind it. Like they knew it was important, but they didn't know exactly how to approach it, you know, what happens if it gets used against you, they, they were just struggling trying to find like a guide and resources for how to actually turn a concept into something real inside their organizations. And so I remembered that I, I have this panic attack and I thought, well, let's try to marry these two things together. And that's what set me out on this research project of uh, the 100 CEOs and the 14,000 employees. So I'd say that was a very big pivotal moment for me, which, you know, plunged me head on into this topic. Yeah, that is, that is, uh, I mean, it's an unfortunate story, a fortunate story, right? It's, it's, um, it's one of those things where, where, um, uh, something occurs that some, something has to be done, but yet you've, there has to be a big release there. Well, I mean, I, I learned that whether, and this is 
personally speaking, whether you choose to be vulnerable or not, at some point life will make you vulnerable. At some point, you're going to need to ask for help because you're looking for a job. At some point, either maybe you'll get sick, maybe a family member is going to get sick, you're going to need help. At some point, you're going to be put in a position where life will make you vulnerable. And that, was, that became very clear and apparent for me. And, you know, I, I've always been the type of person to stuff down emotions and feelings. You know, how's it going? Great, great, everything's fine. And, you know, after doing that for many, many years, it's sort of like packing a bunch of clothes into a suitcase and you keep trying to zip the suitcase, the suitcase and eventually, you can't stuff anything else in there and it just kind of explodes. That's what happened to me. Uh, thankfully, I haven't had any uh, panic attacks since then. But you know, I've also made a lot of life changes to be more open to talk about emotions and feelings. And it's been, a, it's been an inter interesting journey for me, to say the least. Okay, so Jacob, that story to me sounded like leading with vulnerability. It didn't sound like if there's leading with vulnerability and vulnerability, to me, that sounded like it would be in the framework of leading with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, so the, the way that I separate the two and kind of the big distinction is vulnerability, again, to use kind of a classic example, right? Um, in fact, I, I can share a story from one of the CEOs from the book. Uh, and this story was told to me by Doug Parker, who is, well, he's now the ex-CEO of American Airlines. I think he's still the chairman there. But at the time when we spoke, he was the CEO of American Airlines. And he told me this really fascinating story about Hollis Harris. And Hollis Harris used to be the CEO of Continental Airlines. And this was in the 80s. And what ended up happening is one day he showed up to work and the company was already struggling. They were going through tough times. And he said, uh, he showed up to work and he acknowledged that the company was going through tough times and his solution was basically pray for the future of the company. So he goes in front of his 42,000 employees and he says, basically the company's going down. I don't know what to do. Pray for the future of the company. That's a very vulnerable thing to do. But as Doug Parker told me, there was no leadership there, right? And that's the key distinction, right? Had Hollis Harris been Joe in accounting, and he showed up to work and maybe he's only been at the company for a couple of years. And he says, you know what? I think this company's going down. I don't see a future. Somebody would have probably said, hey, Hollis, you know, why don't we go out for lunch and talk about it? You seem like maybe you're having a bad day. You know, how, how's everything going? And nobody would have thought much of it. When you're the CEO of an organization, you show up to work and say, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. The company's going down. Pray for the future of the company. You cause chaos. And the day after he said that he was fired. So that's an example of being vulnerable, but there's no leadership there. Now, I contrast this to another story that's oftentimes, uh, that was shared to me um, by another CEO in the book. And this one was from Fleetwood Grobler. He's now the CEO of a company called Sassel. It's a South African energy company around the same size in terms of employee headcount. And he was put into the CEO role shortly before COVID became a pandemic and all these lockdowns happened. And he too was faced with a very uncertain and difficult time. The company was near bankruptcy. The, the banks were just about to come and repossess the organization. They were, I believe, $10 billion in debt. It was catastrophic. It was the worst situation you can imagine. And so he too was faced with a similar situation, right? All hands meeting, go in front of your employees. What are you going to say? And he too went in front of his employees and he said, look, yes, the company is going through a hard time. Um... I don't know the exact path that we're going to take to get out of this, but I have a vision of where I want to go. I know we have a talented group of people, and I know that if we work together, we can rebuild trust in our customers 
and our employees. So I invite all of you to come with me, right? Help me execute and deliver on this vision. Let's work together to turn this company around. That too is vulnerable, but he added the leadership component. And that's the key differentiating factor. Leading with vulnerability is about two things, competence and connection. In other words, it's not just about being good at your job, it's connecting with your people. And what happens is if you only focus on the connection, in other words, you're really good at being vulnerable, a lot of people will look at you and say, wow, you're great at connecting with people, but you seem to be incompetent because you're constantly asking for help. You're talk, constantly talking about mistakes and failures. Like you seem to lack the competence. The flip side of that is if you only focus on competence and you're good at your job, then people are going to say, well, you're kind of like a robot. You're good at your job, but you're not able to connect with anybody. And leading with vulnerability is, and I call this the vulnerable leader equation. Leadership plus vulnerability equals leading with vulnerability. And this is the most important concept from the book. And then I unpack that in a bunch of other um, different ways, but you have to have both leadership with vulnerability. So the key kind of differentiator here between these two stories is that Fleetwood added the leadership piece, right? So another example, and this won't be a story, this will just be kind of an example. Um, you show up to work and you say, I made a mistake. Very vulnerable thing to say, right? There's no leadership. The leading with vulnerability piece would be, hey, I made a mistake. Here's what I learned from that mistake that I made. And here's some steps that I'm going to take to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. That's vulnerability plus leading with, or, or the difference between leading with vulnerability. And that's a very key distinction. So is there such a thing, Jacob, as leadership? You say leadership plus vulnerability. Is, is there such thing as leadership without vulnerability? Can you, can you lead in 2023 as we take this? Can you lead in 2023 and not have vulnerability and still call that leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. This is one of the things that I asked a lot of the CEOs that I interviewed as well, uh, because I too was very curious about that. And the truth is that we know a lot of leaders out there who are not vulnerable, yet they are in leadership roles. And so my question to a lot of the CEOs was, hey, look, you know, do you have to be vulnerable in order to be a leader? The answer was no. You don't have to be vulnerable to be a leader. You have to be vulnerable to be a great leader. In other words, if you just want to be put into a leadership role and you want to be a mediocre leader and get by and stuff like that, you can probably do whatever you want. In fact, you could stay at a company for a long time, uh, maybe close a couple of big deals. You get put into a leadership role. Hey, there you go. You don't have any vulnerability, but you're in a leadership role. But if you want to be a great leader, you want to be able to make change happen. You want to be able to impact the lives of those around you. You want to be able to unlock the potential of the people that you work with and for. You want to be able to create trust. You want to go above and beyond and solve complex problems. The general consensus from all the 100 CEOs I interviewed is that you cannot do that unless you add the vulnerability piece into leadership. And this has been a very interesting change because if you look at the past 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 plus years, look at the era of Jack Welsh as he was coming up in the corporate world. Um, there used to be this assumption that you didn't need vulnerability. It was actually bad for you. And I would agree with that, right? In the 80s, 90s with the era of Jack Welsh, vulnerability wasn't talked about. I mean, Fortune was writing magazines on the world's toughest bosses and it was considered to be a badge of honor to be on the cover of that magazine or to work for one of those types of bosses. 
that had no vulnerability. They would throw stuff at you. They would scream at you. They would just put you down. I was like, yeah, that's the tough, you know, that's the badge of honor. And so there's a theory in psychology called mismatch theory. And it basically states that attributes, behaviors, qualities that you once had, which were beneficial to you, now become detrimental to you as the environment around you suddenly changes. And this is exactly what we're seeing in the world of business and in the world of leadership. The tough guy or girl approach, the lack of vulnerability, the don't show emotion, the commanding control. This used to be how business got done. And in fact, you could say that it used to be beneficial. This was widely accepted in the corporate world. But what started to happen is the environment around us suddenly changed. And it was sudden, right? I mean, you're, we're looking at like five, 10 years. We live in a completely different world. Our environment changed so quickly that these behaviors, the attributes, the qualities that we once led with are now actually detrimental to our leadership success. So what this means is that leaders out there have a choice that they need to make. Do you want to continue to implement these outdated ways of leading that are now actually hurting you, your business, your team, or are you willing to adapt and adjust as needed because the environment around you has changed? And the general consensus is that if you want to be that great leader, it, you have to have that vulnerability piece in there. But again, it's vulnerability with the leadership piece, not just one or the other. Hey, we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. So the environment, you talked about the environment changing. The environment was, has been changing. And then of course, last three years, it's changed rapidly, obviously. Um, you know, we've, there's, there's always been a percentage of people who are virtual or hybrid. Now we're in a world where, who knows what it is now as people are going back and forth. But we, I would say relatively we're at, you know, around a 50% virtual hybrid, maybe more. This is my big question. This is why I was so excited to bring you on. Uh, in this world, which is which is one in which I am not going to see you in person either ever, like this situation, or maybe once a year, maybe a couple times a year, um, do you see now vulnerability? Uh, I know I'm talking to the vulnerability man, but do you, do you see it as an essential um, for you to be able to connect to your employees? Is it a nice to, an essential? And uh, what's to know your perspective on that in this new world? Essential. Uh, I mean, if you look at a lot of news that's been coming out, um, we're in a loneliness epidemic. A lot of people are struggling. You're seeing higher rates of, of suicide among young people as a result of social media. Um, you're seeing just a kind of the loneliness epidemic across the world, right? I mean, people are feeling disconnected. A lot of people are struggling to feel a sense of purpose and connection and meaning. Uh, you combine that with people not having any social interaction. I mean, we're social animals, we're human beings. You stick everybody behind a screen and you combine all these other things on top of that. And you start to see that, yeah, I mean, this is, it, it's a, it's a very tough time. You know, I think a lot of people will agree that we have felt lonely. We have felt disconnected. We have felt isolated. Uh, a lot of people have struggled. And you need that vulnerability piece. E even if you exclude any of the kind of business component, you need the vulnerability piece to just connect with a human being. I mean, how can you, and again, we're not even talking about a business uh, perspective here, right? From leadership, 
How can you connect with other people, be friends with them, go out with them if there is no vulnerability involved? If nobody's talking about challenges or struggles or how they're going through a tough time, you start to feel like you live in a bubble, like it's not the real world. So absolutely, vulnerability is crucial, absolutely crucial, especially now after what we've gone through over the past few years. Uh, and we're still struggling with that. There's still a lot of um, you know repercussions and, and damage that has been done from that. Um, so vulnerability is is absolutely essential, I would say, for not just our personal lives, but for any leader who's looking to con create connection with their people to build trust, right? All these things are essential. You cannot do them without vulnerability in the workplace. How does someone go, like, they're listening to you right now, and they're like, okay, I get it. I get it. I understand it. I've seen the V word everywhere. Um, and th I think maybe I'm doing a good job in it. Maybe not sure. Is it a mindset shift? Is it is it a practice? Do I need to just start practicing? Um, and how do I do it where I'm being authentic, where it's not like the you know the, the um, tool of the day or, or the month? What's that shift that you've seen leaders make, and what would you suggest to make that shift so that you are leading with vulnerability? So there's a lot in that question. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned is is authenticity, and th that's an important part of this. Uh, and, and I interviewed a lot of researchers and psychologists and neuroscientists and game theory experts um, to really understand the psychology and the, the brain aspect behind vulnerability. And by the way, um, going back to kind of this virtual, um, this virtual component, uh, there is a professor. His name is Dr. Paul Zak. Uh, you know, he, he has a nickname that uh, a lot of people call him Dr. Love. And he did some really interesting research on the virtual impact of vulnerability and the in-person aspect of vulnerability. And so what he identified is that um, in a virtual world, um, when you're vulnerable with somebody, first of all, what happens is it releases oxytocin. And so the oxytocin, the, you know, it's kind of like the happy chemicals that makes the other people, the other person want to connect with you. It kind of creates the bond, the relationship. Um, he found that in a virtual world, you get 50, maybe on the high end, 80% of the oxytocin that you would get versus uh, leading with vulnerability in person. So still beneficial, but the impact is nowhere near as much as it is when you are in person grabbing coffee with somebody and sharing those stories and being vulnerable with them versus doing it behind a screen. So I just kind of wanted to mention that one piece on the virtual side. Um, so your question was, where, where do you begin and kind of how do you approach this stuff, right? So the, the genuine and authenticity piece here is really important because we have, and I won't curse on here, but we have really good BS indicators in our brain. And so what starts to happen is if somebody's being uh, seemingly vulnerable with you and you can tell that it just doesn't feel genuine, you will know. And what starts to happen is if you know, it actually does more harm than good. And one of the CEOs that I interviewed, he shared a story with me about <clears throat> a CEO that he worked for at the time. And this was earlier on in his career. And he worked for a really, really tough CEO. Uh, you know, hard-nosed CEO, no BS attitude. Like he was just, you know, a, a pretty tough guy. And then one day he shows up to work um, and so does some of his peers. And the CEO invites all these people into his office and he starts playing the Bette Midler song, You Are the Wind Beneath My Wings. Uh, you know, trying to be vulnerable, talking about, yeah, trying to talk about like, oh, you, get, you all mean so much to me and I appreciate you and thank you so much. And he was trying to be vulnerable. 
And a lot of the employees look at each other. They're like, what the hell is going on here? Is this guy having a stroke? And he, it, like, it seemingly came out of nowhere. It didn't resonate as being authentic or genuine with any of the people. And when I interviewed uh, one of the people who worked for the CEO, they're like, yeah, I wish he would have just shown up with his hard-nosed attitude of like kicking people in the teeth instead of this weird bet middler stuff because we didn't know how to take it. it. Didn't resonate with us. It didn't connect with us. It just felt and looked and sounded weird. And so that happens, right? I mean, if, if you have a reputation as being a leader one way and all of a sudden you show up to work tomorrow and, and, and just start really, you know, leading with vulnerability and like, oh my goodness, I appreciate you. I need help. I made this mistake. People are going to look at you like something weird is going on here. So it's not like an overnight you show up tomorrow and all of a sudden you're transformed as a leader, right? So, you know, it's a gradual process. Um, so a couple of places to start. Uh, I think that one of the most beneficial things, first of all, for a lot of people to remember is just this component of V plus L equals VL. Vulnerability plus leadership equals vulnerable leadership. And the idea here is to just constantly bring these two things together into the various aspects of work that you're doing, right? I think that's a very, very simple starting, uh, starting place. Um, so I kind of want to share two, <clears throat> two frameworks, I guess you can think of. One is uh, what I call the vulnerability wheel. And the vulnerability wheel helps you sort of think through when to be vulnerable and, and how. And then I have eight attributes that vulnerable leaders practice. So these are kind of the, the eight attributes or qualities that help unlock this superpower of leading with vulnerability. So let's start with the wheel first. And you could think about the wheel as a ripple. And you start at the middle and you kind of, it goes out from there. And so the big question that I always have from a lot of leaders is how do you know when to be vulnerable? How do you know what to say? How do you know what not to say? Like, how do you think through this? And this wheel is meant to either just be like a mental quick checklist. Um, some leaders I've talked to actually work this through uh, before they share things with their teams. So you can kind of use it as you will. At the center of this wheel is the intention. So why are you sharing whatever it is that you're sharing? So you're thinking about tomorrow, I'm going to show up to work. I'm going to be vulnerable. Why? Why is it that you are sharing whatever it is that you're sharing? What is the, what is the business purpose of it? Are you trying to connect with your people? Are you trying to come up with a, a, a new uh, idea for a product or service? Are you trying to drive innovation? You need to have some sort of intention behind what you're doing. Otherwise, everything you do just becomes like a big group therapy session. And that's not what the workplace is for. Second, <clears throat> what is it that you want to share? So I have the intention, you know, what is it that I want to accomplish? What is it that I actually want to share? One layer out from that is who do I actually want to share it with? Because there are some people inside of your organization who will have your best interests in mind. There are other people inside of your organization who may be out to get you. And you probably know who those people are. If you have those people inside of your organization, chances are you might not want to be as vulnerable with them as you are with perhaps some of your trusted coworkers and peers. One layer out from that is your tone. How do you say it, right? There's, there's different ways. Uh, for example, if you say, if you're asking for help, <clears throat> right? You could say, hey, I need help with this. Or you could say, hey, you know what? Um, I, I'm, I'm struggling with something. I could really use your help with it. One of those sounds vulnerable. 
One of those sounds like I'm coming from a power of authority and I'm not really asking you for help. I'm kind of telling you to help me. So the tone also matters. And the layer outside from that is professionalism. And professionalism means that you act in a way that is accepted or respected of the role that you are in. So for example, let's say you're a leader inside of an organization. You have an employee who is giving a presentation to you, right? Let's say you're in a conference room. There's 10 people in the room. Your employee is giving a presentation. It's terrible. It is one of the worst presentations you've seen. Now, you as the leader have a choice. You can, in front of that entire room, say, what the hell is wrong with you? How did you get hired here? That is the absolute worst presentation I have ever seen. Get out. That's not very professional. Or you could take the professional route behind that, right? And say, hey, you know, thanks for sharing that. I think there are a couple things that I would like you to work on going forward. So the professionalism piece really matters. And the good thing about this wheel is when you go through this framework, when you find that either you can't answer one of these things or you don't know what one of these things are, then you should stop and reevaluate if it makes sense to be vulnerable in that moment or with that person. So let me stop there first and see if you have any questions. And then maybe instead of the eight attributes, uh, I could talk about something called the vulnerability mountain because I don't know if we'll have time to get through all eight of them. Yeah, so we are, um, we're approaching the end of the podcast. I do, um, before we get to the mountain, the vulnerability mountain, um, I do want to um, share how important it is uh, what you just, what you just shared with the audience, which is um, using vulnerability in a very specific, intentional way. Um, and I think that's, um, I think your guides are very important because um, I remember back in the day when Brene Brown brought this and the biggest question was, was like, well, how far do you go with vulnerability? And are you supposed to do this all the time? And, you know, I'm going to turn the light on. Should I tell you how I feel about that? So I do think that it's, um, it's very good and very intentional. And I do think, um, it's great that, um, we are talking about this before we get to the mountain. I have a question. 50 to 80% of the oxytocin is, is, I guess, created when it's virtual versus when it's live. What are leaders doing to move that 50 to 80% to higher levels, given that uh, I might be a leader of a fully uh, virtual company? How can I raise those numbers? Well, my understanding after talking to Dr. Paul Zak is you can't. Um, it's just the difference between virtual versus in-person. Um, and it and it shows the difference between leading behind a screen versus leading in person, right? It's kind of like saying um, it's easier for me to make friends with somebody in person than it is behind a screen and saying, well, how can I make friends with people just as well behind a screen as I could in person? The truth is you can't. It doesn't matter what you do. But when you can't see body language, when you can't have that casual interaction and conversation, when you're own, you know, when you you can't see like the 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 body of the person and all that sort, it's not the same. It's not the same. Regardless of how hard you try, it will not be the same. And that was the most important takeaway uh, that Paul Zach shared with me. Um, now, one thing that I wanted to share, kind of to something else that you we talked about previously before we jumped to the vulnerability mountain, is <clears throat> there was uh, so one of the researchers that I interviewed, uh, Elliot Aronson. He is a former professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz, which is where I went to school. He came up with this concept called the Pratt Fall Effect. And, and this is a very, very important thing that I really want 
current or aspiring leaders to understand. And it goes to this theme of why lead with vulnerability. And what happens is if, if you are vulnerable and you are good at your job, what happens is that vulnerability adds to the impression of your high level of competence. So I'll say that one more time. If you're good at your job and you are vulnerable, that vulnerability gives you a little bit of a boost. It adds to your level of competence because what happens is people will say things like, hey, Mitch is really good at his job and he's likable. Like he's even, right, you get that boost. But if you're mediocre, you're not that great at your job and you're vulnerable. The vulnerability only adds and helps support your level of mediocrity. So this is why it's so important for these two things to go together. So summarize one more time. You're good at your job and you're vulnerable. You become perceived as even more likable and more competent. If you're not good at your job and you're vulnerable, it only adds to the perception of your mediocrity. It kind of solidifies you into that mediocre role. Now the question then becomes, well, does this mean that I can never be vulnerable unless I'm really good at my job? No. After all, everybody starts somewhere, right? Your first year, two years, three years, four years, whatever, you get into a new role, you're always gonna have something that you don't know. The important thing there is that you are working on closing the gap. In other words, let's say you, know, you don't know how to do something, you're making mistakes. The important thing there to create that perception of competence is working towards closing that gap. Whether you are working with a coach, whether you are talking about not only the mistakes that you made, but the lessons learned, whether you talk about things that you are doing to improve, you have to be working on that level of competence. But as one CEO, Steve Bilt, the CEO of Smile Brands told me, if you're in ninth grade, right, and you are only proficient with fifth grade math, and you keep showing up to ninth grade talking about how you don't know how to do math and how you're struggling, and you don't have a tutor, and you're not working on getting up to that level of ninth grade math, then people are going to start to look at you and say, what the hell are you doing in ninth grade? Same thing is true inside of an organization. It's okay if you don't know how to do something, but you need to be working on figuring out how to do it and how to get better and how to learn and how to grow. Um, from that perspective, vulnerability is okay, provided that you are doing that. So I mentioned this concept uh, of the vulnerability mountain. And the Vulnerability Mountain and the cover of the book, which I haven't released yet, I'll probably be doing it this week uh, or maybe next week, but people, you know, we're, we're recording this uh, a little bit before the book is coming out. But Right, it'll be out. Yeah, so the book cover will be out fairly soon. And the concept of the Vulnerability Mountain is, um, I, I look at vulnerability and leading with vulner vulnerability as kind of like climbing a mountain. And it's hard, right? You know, at first maybe it becomes a little bit easier, but the higher up the mountain you go, the harder it becomes to climb that mountain. But the same thing is true as you're climbing the mountain, the more beautiful the view becomes, the more clarity you get, uh, the more people you see on that mountain as you stop and rest, the more connections you build. So that's kind of the concept of leading with vulnerability is like a mountain. So when I say building your own mountain, what that means is you start off with something small because vulnerability is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. So you don't just show up to work tomorrow and talk about your deep, dark secrets and like all these things that have happened to you. You start small. So tomorrow, maybe you show up to work and you start talking a little bit about what you did over the weekend. 
right? That's something small, base the pyramid, anybody could do that. And then you start to work up that mountain. So maybe the following day, you genuinely praise someone on your team, which by the way, is one of the things we didn't talk about, but there's also vulnerability in being able to accept compliments, to talk about positive things, and also being able to praise somebody else. So maybe the second step on your mountain is you genuinely praise or acknowledge someone. Maybe the third step on the mountain is you ask for help on something small. Uh, maybe the next step after that is you admit to a mistake. And maybe the one after that is you share a personal challenge or struggle. So what I encourage everybody to do is to build their own vulnerability mountain. And the two easiest things to build are what's top of that peak for you. Like what scares you and freaks you out as far as talking about or sharing or being comfortable with and what's easiest on the mountain. The easiest thing on the mountain is what you could do today, what you could do tomorrow. The highest thing on the mountain is what's going to take you some time to work through and to build on. And that is, I think, a very good starting point for a lot of people is build your own vulnerability mountain and you slowly start to climb it. You do one thing one day, you do another thing another day, and you start to visualize how you are sending up this mountain. That is beautiful. That is a great metaphor. And it makes it very easy for someone to understand and get very comfortable taking a small step. Because I do think that when most people think about vulnerability, they think it's binary. They think it's, I either don't share anything or you know everything about me, even more than I know about myself. Beautiful. Okay, so Jacob, when is your book coming out? And again, the book is called Leading with Vulnerability. Yes, the book is called Leading with Vulnerability. Marshall Goldsmith wrote the foreword for it. We got a lot of great endorsements uh, so far. Um, so I'm very excited for it to come out. I mean, people can order it now. The book will be officially being delivered uh, starting October 3rd. October 3rd is when the book is... October 3rd. Yes, October 3rd is, is the date when the book is officially out. But again, it's already up on, uh, on Amazon and all those various places. Okay, thank you. Um, so to get the book, we're going to Amazon and look for Leading with Vulnerability by Jacob Morgan. And then do you have a website where we can follow you? Yes, people can connect with me. It's thefutureorganization.com. Uh, and I'm also happy to share my email because I get a lot of questions from people when it comes to vulnerability. Um, so if anybody has something that they want to share with me, you can email me, jacob at thefutureorganization.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions or share any additional insights or research. Okay, great. So that's thefutureorganization.com or jacob, J-A-C-O-B at thefutureorganization.com. Yeah, and we created a URL for the book as well to make it easy for everybody, which is leadwithvulnerability.com. So if you go to leadwithvulnerability.com, then uh, we'll have everything up there. We're going to create some cool bonuses and stuff like that for people who pre-order it. And you can see the endorsements, what the book's about, what you'll learn, all that sort of fun stuff. Great. Well, I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to that website right after uh, we, we end this episode. I want to thank you, Jacob. This has been so informative. I know that Jacob is a speaker and you can see how powerful he is just with um, his knowledge and passion and commitment to the content. So please go ahead, share this episode with your friends, your family, your colleagues, um, anyone else who you appreciate their vulnerability or you'd like to see them becoming more vulnerable so you can know them better and get to that 50 to 80%. Thanks so much. We'll see you in the next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite 
podcast platform. Your support helps us grow, and by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available. 